And well, this morning we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verses 20 through 25, the last five verses of the book of Hebrews. It's printed for you in the ESV translation on page 10. We also have the children's translation on page 10 for you as well. Again, my name is Sean. I'm one of your teaching elders here. Uh, our other teaching elder, Marty, is on a much-deserved vacation, so you're going to be seeing a lot more of me uh, today than you normally would. So as we get into this text, I want to take you to um, a Disney movie. Remember that Disney movie came out a couple years ago with all the rats in it called Ratatouille? It's, it's, it's set at this restaurant in Paris called Gusteau's, and this restaurant is a shadow, just a mere shadow of its former glory, until it gets a unique new chef, and suddenly it's popular again. And the main restaurant critic who helped in Gusteau's demise returns to the restaurant to kill it again, and he sits down. He, the waiter comes, nervous because he knows who he is, and asks to take his order. And you can tell he's the bad guy because even though it's set in Paris, he has a British accent. And he looks at the kitchen, he looks back at the waiter, and he says, Tell him to hit me with his best shot. And the waiter scampers off in fear. Here we are at the very end of our goat-dragging series. This Goat-dragging is this idea that we believe Jesus by grace gets us into the church, gets us into salvation. Yes, he saves us, but we operate as if maintaining God's favor, maintaining the grace in which we stand is up to us, especially our religious behavior and our religious efforts. So instead of resting in Christ like an old covenant believer, we drag something to God and hope to sacrifice it to cover our sins because we don't really believe Christ covers our ongoing sins. We're here at the last of this series talking about that. We're at the last of the book of Hebrews. And so this writer here in the book of Hebrews wants to hit us with his best shot. How can he say it in a verse or two? That it's not about our efforts to impress God, but it's about Jesus' efforts to accomplish redemption, to rescue us through his efforts. That's what he's trying to do. So if you would, would you please, if you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 25. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Let's pray together. My Father God, we do come before you and proclaim, yes, we want that grace that you promise is with us. We pray that even now during this brief time, you would open up your word to us, show us yet again that grace that we might know Jesus. By your spirit, build us up through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And please be seated. So our theme for today is this that God was pleased to raise Jesus, and it is His pleasure to fix us through Jesus. And we're going to see that Jesus deserves God's pleasure, and through Jesus, we do too. So let's jump right in. God was pleased to raise Jesus. What we're going to do is we're going to look at verse 20, but we're going to work backwards through verse 20. So let's look kind of towards the end of verse 20 there, where it says, "...by the blood of the eternal covenant." 
Blood here refers to Jesus' death as a sacrifice for sin. It was designed from all eternity. It was meant to happen from the very, very beginning. It's an eternal covenant secured by the blood of the Redeemer. The emphasis is on the intentionality of the cross. Why is that important? Because if we don't see the cross as always intended, if we don't see that Jesus Christ was born to die, so that he could be sacrificed, we will kind of in the back of our mind tend to think, yeah, God loves us because he has to. He, he doesn't really want to. If the, if the cross was just some sort of cosmic accident that God somehow redeemed, he, we weren't supposed to kill Jesus, then what are we Gentiles doing here? We kind of we see God's grace as a begrudging grace. <clears throat> He's not a peaceful God. He's an imposed upon God if the cross was not always meant to be. And we can't rest in a God like that, can we? We relate to that God as if he doesn't really like us. He just puts up with us. We're on edge with him, especially if we are goat draggers. We have this constant concern in the back of our mind. Have I offended him? Is he sick of me? Have I gone too far? Does he really want me in his life? See, but the writer of Hebrews tells us, no, Jesus was always intended to be the covenant sacrifice for sin. His blood was shed to make us clean, and it was God's plan, meant to be. So as such, let's look at the next part of verse 20, where it says this, as he brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. See, he's summing up again, and he's already shown that the resurrection of Jesus proves that he died an innocent death. And it proves that his sacrifice was accepted so we can be rescued by God's grace. See how great your sin is, dear flock. So great, Jesus had to die to fix it. The cross of Christ should terrify and amaze us. Which is why verse 20 opens up with the God of peace. We are only, the only way sinners like us The only way that those of us who are naturally at war with God, who are completely fractured by sin, at war with ourselves, at war with each other, the only way He is a God of peace to us is absolutely not through our efforts, not our religious behavior, not our good moral living, not us exhausting ourselves to impress Him. The gospel message is not do God's will and have peace with Him but it is receive peace with God as a gift because of his plan, because of his eternal covenant that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we would be his because God was pleased to raise Jesus. And then next we see that God is pleased to fix us through Jesus. Let's all look at verse 21 together. We're going to camp out here for a while, so I want to read it again. It's part of a prayer, so it starts out, May God equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And one thing I really want you to get from this verse at the very beginning is that word equip is the word literally for fix. It's the word for repair. It's used in the Gospels of when Jesus finds the disciples fixing, mending, repairing their nets. It's the same word. The whole point of God's plan is that God wants to fix his people. Are you tired of being broken? Are you tired of being in a broken world? Are you tired of strife? Are you tired of polarization? God has promised to fix it, and it starts with Him fixing us. 
I mean, that the actual word repair is used in the Bible totally frees us from goat dragging. I mean, if Christianity is about our performance, we don't need repair. We just need to be unleashed. We just need to go find our best life now. We just need to be, you know, free to go do what you need to do. But if we're in a state of complete disrepair because of our sin, because of our rebellion, if we are broken, first and foremost, we need fixing. And it is with care and affection that he fixes us. And then he unleashes us because he likes to just go watch us mess stuff up with the gospel. And that's not me reading into the text. There are so many nuances in this verse. I want you to catch the feel of this text. So let's all look together at the kids' translation of verse 21. Again, it's a prayer, so it starts out with, I pray that our wholesome God repair y'all with all the happiness you can stand. Then you can joyfully bring God pleasure as he celebrates what he's doing in us through Jesus Christ, who deserves glory forever and ever. Amen. All the happiness we can stand, joyfully bringing God pleasure, God celebrating us, we don't really believe that, do we? We don't really know God that way, do we? How can such grace and kindness be? And the answer, of course, is through Jesus Christ. It is through the work of Jesus, through Jesus dragging himself to the cross that God accomplishes what pleases him. So I really want to try to get you guys to get into the sermon, like really prepare for it. So I had Becky send out a couple weeks ago uh, a link to a cartoon for the children. And then just this week, instead of a video of me talking at you for a minute and a half, we sent a link out to a 1950s cartoon. I hope you had a chance to watch it. It's called Susie the Little Blue Coop. Boys and girls especially, I hope you got to see it. But just in case, let me walk you through the story real quick. So we have Susie here. She's a beautiful little blue coop. One of her favorite things to do is to sit in the showroom and flirt with the customers as they walked by. And one day this guy came by and he saw her and just fell in love. We just had to have her. So he goes in, he purchases her, and he takes her home. He gives her, gives her 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 own little nice garage to sleep in. Look at the little cat sleeping on top. It's just so precious. She had a great life at a great time. But as all well-loved cars, she was driven a lot and a lot and a lot. And what happens to cars that are driven a lot? They become old. They break down. They show that they're well-loved. And so he takes her to a mechanic. The mechanic looks at her, tries to figure out what's wrong with her, and he basically says it's going to cost way more than she's worth to fix her. So the guy just sells her to the mechanic who puts her on a used car lot and she goes through a series of successively less and less nice, more seedy owners until finally in the ultimate, ultimate embarrassment, she's involved in a drunk driving accident, handcuffed, I mean put on a tow truck and taken away to a junkyard where she sits for years and years. Until one day, this teenage boy comes by looking for something, and he sees her, and he loves her. He sees what she can be, so he goes, and what does he do? He pays the price to get her. He takes her to his garage. He repairs her with all the happiness she can stand so she can joyfully bring him pleasure. He takes her to his garage, spends money, spends time, and she pops out of the garage a completely new hot rod. Don't you love how it's 1950s, see the raccoon tail on the, on the antenna there? How authentic is that? 
And he loves her and he celebrates driving her and she's happy and fulfilled. Oh, dear Christian, this is the gospel. This cartoon captures the heart of the gospel. We are run down. We are destitute. We are unloved. We are unable to fix ourselves. But then a Savior comes. He loves us. He's excited about what He's going to make us. And so He pays the price to redeem us. And then He goes to work to repair us. He makes us happy. We then love Him and we become something He celebrates. That's the gospel. And in verse 20, the author says, all of this is from the God of peace. You know, peace is, all, is yes, the absence of conflict, but biblically, peace is also so much more than just the absence of conflict. Peace means being complete. It means being made whole. It's like the word wholesomeness. The word shalom is the word you hear a lot. In the insurance industry, if you've worked in the insurance industry or if you've you know, experienced the insurance industry, when something bad happens and you need to use their product, one of the things they say is what? We make our customers whole. That's shalom. That's biblical peace, being made whole when something's not whole, when something's broken. And we see here in Hebrews that God makes his people whole. He's a fixer. He's a mechanic, and when we gather for worship, we are coming to God's garage together. And this is vintage biblical faith. This is not me adding in modern concepts to an ancient text. One of the first verses I ever memorized as a teenager when I came to Christ was Jeremiah 29, 11. If you've been around church longer than about 23 seconds, someone has quoted Jeremiah 29, 11 to you, haven't they? I learned it in the version where it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. And that word prosper is shalom. God says, I'm going to shalom you. I'm going to make you whole. I'm going to make you complete. I'm going to repair you. See, it is God's plan to make his people whole. He's the God of wholeness. That's what it means when he says he's the God of peace. And in church world, we tend to resist that especially if we're goat draggers. Because remember, what do we do? We look at the God of peace, we look at the God of wholesomeness, and we think, yeah, but I haven't been living a good life. Have I offended him one too many times? Is he sick of me yet? Have I gone too far? Does he really want me in his life? You know, once in high school, my car broke down. And it was very late at night before I discovered this. I finished with my friends. I get to my car and it, it won't work. And so I have to call my dad for help. Let's do a little bit of a fun archaeology here for those of you who are younger than me. And by call my dad, I meant that I had to walk to this cabinet-looking thing on a street corner called a phone booth. I had to take this metal disc out of my pocket called a coin, and I put it in there. And then from memory, I had to actually remember the digits of, and call my father. I know, right? How anxious. How did we ever survive? I called my dad, and my dad had to get up at O-Dark 30 every day to go to work. And so I was super apologetic. I'm so sorry, Dad. I'm so sorry, Dad. He comes, and we get to work fixing my car together. And I'm, I'm apologizing and apologizing the whole time. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And finally, my dad stops. And he just looks at me, and I can tell that this man of deep feelings and few words is really hurt. And all he does is he looks at me, and he quotes a chorus from a popular country music song at the time. And he just looks at me and goes, that's my job. That's what I do. And behind that was my sensitive dad saying, why don't you think I love you? Don't you know that dads sacrifice for their kids? I'm honored. I'm happy to help you. And that's exactly what this verse 
tells us. That's exactly what Hebrews is trying to get us to see about our Heavenly Father. He likes to fix us. He's always planned on fixing us. It's what He does. We mess up and God actually enjoys putting it back. He doesn't say, didn't I just clean this up? Who messed this up? He's like, oh, yeah, I get to display my grace and kindness and favor through redemption and brings me glory. Here you go, I fixed it. Mess it up again. Go ahead, I dare you. We don't think that way, do we? That God fixes us and then celebrates us? Because God celebrates Jesus. And when we confess our faith and trust in Jesus, we become united to him. So what is true of Jesus is true of us. So if God celebrates Jesus, he celebrates those who are united to Jesus. All of this crazy emotive language is in the text. So we're going to take the next couple of moments. We're going to kind of go through chunks of verse 21 compared to the children's translation as well. It'll be on the slides. You can follow along your bulletin. So the first thing says, verse 21 says, he equips you with everything good. Or in the kids' translation, we said, repair y'all with all happiness. Isn't that your deepest desire? Just to be happy? I mean, it sounds so shallow and superficial, right? We don't say that out loud. We have to say something spiritual, right? But it's a deep longing, isn't it? Just to be happy. You know, boys and girls who are here, when I was a child, I loved Halloween. I did. I loved dressing up. I loved running around with my friends. I loved all the candy. It was the best. But you know what I found out now that I have children? I don't like Halloween that much. <laughs> There's never money in the budget for costumes. We always, we always seem to forget that. Like, oh man, we got to spend, you know, because we're like, why do we have five kids? They're, oh, we got to buy all this candy. We got to make sure everyone's safe. Someone's got to man the door. I mean, sorry, it's 2020. Someone has to woman the door. And then we have to, you know, we have to make sure all the kids are safe and everything. But you know why we do that, boys and girls? Because we love to see our kids happy. And mom and dad love to see you happy too. And that's what the Bible says here, that God is happy to make us happy. How dare I say that? Unless it's true. But that's what the next part of verse 21 says. Look with me. Why does he make us happy? That we may do his will. Or an alternate translation for the kids is, then you can joyfully bring God pleasure. The fact that God raised Jesus from the dead, which pleased him, means that he will use the resurrected Jesus to do in us what pleases him. In other words, going back to the Susie cartoon, through Jesus, God is making us into his little hot rod. Not because we proved we are worthy through our efforts. He does it while we're old and busted on the junk pile. He does it to us. He takes us from the junk pile so he can go cruising on the strip because he wants to. He likes to. That's just the nature of a happy, peaceful God of grace. I like how John Piper put it. He says it this way. He says, God does not wait for us to come to him. He seeks us out because it is his pleasure to do us good. Again, in case you think I'm being all modern and touchy-feely, this is vintage Bible Way back in the mean Old Testament, all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy. With a name like Deuteronomy, you know there's nothing good in there, right? Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 9 says what? It says, the Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers. 
God delights in his people. He's always delighted in his people. He's always planned on fixing his people so he can delight in them even more. The final nail in the coffin of goat dragging is just this, the beauty of the gospel, the overwhelming pursuing pleasure of God in his people. The center of the gospel is not our value to God. We think it is if we're goat draggers. I've got to make myself pretty and valuable so he will love me. But the center of the gospel is not our value to God. It's his pleasure in us. Again, this is in verse 21. Look at that next part of verse 21. Why? Because he's working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. We could translate it, he celebrates what he's doing in us. God celebrates us. He rejoices in what he's doing and what he's going to do in us. How would it change you, dear Christian, if you actually believe that? There's a voice in my heart right now that says, that's not true. There's no way he celebrates you. Let's bring this all together. So seeing ourselves in need of repair, it assumes our inability to fix ourselves. Again, think of a broken vehicle, right? The breakage has to be fixed, right? If the vehicle won't go, you got to fix what's broke. And you can't overcome it through that, any kind of breakage just through sheer effort, right? You've got to replace the part. you got to fix what's wrong. And yet... Isn't that exactly what we do when we refuse to believe the love of God for us in Jesus? A love which repairs us and then celebrates what we are. We see that we're broken and say, oh, I don't need to be fixed. I need to try harder. No, you're still broken. You got to be fixed. Well, I'll just just do that. No, be fixed. And God loves to fix us. He comes to fix. He can't wait to fix us. See, if you get that, you just heard the best news in the world. That right now in our struggles, in our failures, in our doubts, in our lack of faith, Jesus is working in us for God's pleasure. Through Jesus, you are not a disappointment to God. Goat draggers always think they're a disappointment. But in the gospel, God sees the hot rod. He doesn't see the pile of junk. God sees the finished work of Jesus in you. The Jesus who deserves glory forever and ever. And he sees that and he loves it. He delights in it. Just as we wrap this up, I mean, think of the polarization in our country right now. This amazing grace in the gospel is the solution. And we can try to educate ourselves on pressing issues. I would encourage you to do that. We can try to better understand the other side. I would definitely encourage you to do that. But ultimately, if we want to see our country heal, it starts with people being made whole through the gospel. So if you're concerned about your country, if you're concerned about social upheaval, ask God to give you wisdom and opportunity to have more non-Christian friends. Then you can introduce them to the fixer God of the Bible by letting them catch a glimpse of how he's fixed you as you deepen a relationship with them. And then eventually, you might even get the chance to invite them to come check out his garage on Sunday morning and see all the things he's doing with with people on the junk pile. I mean, who wouldn't want to know that the God of the Bible is the God of peace? He's not austere. He's not upset. He's not begrudging in his love. He's happy, especially when his people are happy. 
He celebrates with joy what we are becoming through Jesus. He rescues us from the junkyard of our lives. And he rejoices in the hot rod he's turning us into. That's vintage Christianity. And all of that is available to you when you place your faith and trust in Jesus as he's offered in the gospel. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for the grace that you have shown us in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we admit even now that those of us who've been around church world, we just have this tendency, Lord, we we, we don't believe you're that happy. We've been conditioned to think that you're always a little perturbed. We don't really know why. Lord, would you help us to repent of that lack of faith, that slander of your character. And instead, Lord, would you give us the grace to believe that you are, as you say you are, happy, delighted in Jesus, and therefore delighted in your people, celebrating what you're doing in us. Lord, would you help us to drink that up Lord, we pray for those here today who do not know you that, Lord, this picture of your grace, this picture of Jesus Christ as crucified, buried, and resurrected for our sin and for our redemption and for our life. Lord, we pray that you would do your work of drawing people to yourself. Even now. We pray all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.